We're back! We're back! It's a distraction! I'm Drew! That's Roth! Hi, Roth! Hey, man, what's going on? What, what's happening in your life? There was a snow flurry last night, so I got all horny for snow. It's like, no! And it stuck on, it didn't stick on the ground, and it, like, lasted on the windowsill for, like, a minute? But I was like, ho, 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 ho. Merry Christmas, everybody. That's, I'm glad that you're entering December mindset. That's really exciting. I think, I think there's a, a real fertile next couple of months coming for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm very, I'm very horny. For uh, for for snowfall, my my youngest son, who is nine, you know, he sees a flurry, and he thinks that means that there will be, like, he'll be able to go sledding. Like, there will be a, a mm-hmm. snowpack of six inches that automatically comes down like an hour later, and he can go play with friends. And I'm like, and I hate being the fucking like the bleak weather guy. I'm like, actually, it's not going to work that way. And he's like, mm. and so like yeah, I have to. That's how I am with glimmers of hope in our politics or culture. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, but, that, uh, but then yeah, you know, it's like you, you got to learn at some point. It's just it's just the Paul Thomas Anderson movie. It's not like anybody straightened any shit out. That's the that's the one every year. That's the entire Defector staff with the bleakness fetish, and I get all pissy about it. And yeah, that's right. Drew. People don't know this that Drew's actually because you know he comes off like a tough guy here on the podcast, but he's actually a, a very sunshiny presence in Slack. Like I'm very annoyed. Going on, well, I mean, sort of in the sense that if people are talking about shit and getting too grim, he'll be like, you guys have to shut the fuck up. Yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like early era, era, like black eyed peas. I'm like, why aren't we talking more about positivity instead of negativity? Yeah. So That's why they call him Fergie. That's, that's why we call him Fergie around the Slack. <laughs> uh, before we get to our guest, and that's a great guest, we have a live event next week. We're one week away from the live distraction episode in New York City. New York, C- yes, it is brought to you by Pace, a thick and chunky picante salsa. Now there, uh, there is still uh, there are still tickets left. They're not many, but they are still available. If you go to caveat.nyc, that's caveat.nyc. I think caveat's a very funny name for an event space, by the way. Like I'm very grateful that they had us. But it's like, well, there's a catch if you come to our live show. <laughs> I choose to read it as cave at NYC. So I'm just assuming oh, yeah. that it's in some sort of adobe burrow yeah where we can all get together and uh you know maybe they have uh, fried cheese i'm, I'm all like for that sticks or something and oh, good yep. things always happen to me in caves so you know <laughs> everything everything that i could ever want to have happen also if kelsey's gonna join us so we can announce that i guess exclusively here that kelsey will join us at yes the, uh, at that live show kelsey mckinney will be joining us at the live show but joining us for this show right now is our old friend Lindsay Adler of The Athletic, Yankees beat reporter for The Athletic. Lindsay Adler. Hi, Lindsay. What's up? Hi, guys. How are you guys? Oh, listen You that. may be breaking the record for longest time between appearing on the podcast for somebody that is, like, <laughs> a close personal friend of the show. Because, like, you did, like, a very early episode of Deadcast. Like, I was, like, interim hosting, whatever, at that point. And then you uh, went off to go do your dream job and hang out with the fucking Yankees all the time. Um, and uh, now here we are. I missed a job interview with The Athletic to record that episode of the Deadcast. Is that, and I still got did the you? Job. Dedication, that is. That's awesome. I'm, I'm really bad at scheduling, and I got my days mixed up, which happens every single day. And yeah, um, basically, I missed an interview, and then... <laughs> It all worked out. I did the de- dead cast and got the job. So, how, uh, what did you do? All right. Can you take me through what happened when you realized you had missed the interview? Because I assume this was one in a sequence of interviews. This wasn't the interview. This was one of many. No. So, they had um, reached out to me to talk after I broke the news that they were going to be hiring a bunch of baseball writers. And then 
Um, fortunately, when when we had New York City sites, uh, the managing editor for New York was Chris Strauss, and Chris is great and amazing. And at some point um, during the deadcast, I think I got a couple phone calls and then like a text message that was like, "Hey, are we still?" meeting and I was like oh my god I'm recording oh, my idiot friend's feeling. podcast um oh my god so dude. that is shout out to Chris nightmare who is, stuff yeah he's still one of my bosses he's still amazing Chris please listen to this so that um maybe you can forgive me four years later um and it's incredible. Yes. that is like I would not have known. I mean, like, obviously, you never can tell uh, what kind of nightmares you're going to have. But for me, the idea now, like, I will, you know, sometime in the next few days have this, the idea of getting a text that's like, something important is happening. And I'm like, no, I'm doing the part of the fun bag where we have to answer a reader question about how many different types of fart there are. Like, and that is just, that's brutal. The idea of missing something important because you got to do that. That's I, very kind of them to understand. Uh, oh, yeah. You're missing it. Because, uh, like, well, you know, she's very good, Drew. I, Normally, I you. Think- no, I think the funniest part was that on that episode, Drew like paused the recording to tell me that I needed to be more lively or more funny or just stop, Did I do like, that? <laughs> being like a wet blanket or whatever. Oh my, I was just oh like, my God. Drew was like oh. Drew, doing his Drew thing. And I was just like, yes, everything I'm... is horrible. <laughs> and he's like, Adler, so... could, you, could you pick it up? So um, that was a, that's, so that's a really nice memory, honestly. And, That's and yeah, oh, man, your that's chance terrible. now to like sort of show how much, you know, first of all, now you got big energy Davey joining you on the podcast. So that's it'll be hard not right. to get at that level. But we're having you on on the eve of a fucking lockout. So mm-hmm. this will be a really great opportunity for you to just be positive <laughs> and uh, sh- show us the, the lighter side of a long work stoppage in the sport that we both cover and care about. Uh, before we talk about baseball, though, I just wanted to point out that we're on a Zoom call, and in the in the frame is Adler's very fluffy, very horny dog, Fisher. Hi, Fisher. King. He can't Fisher's hear you guys. nice to have joining us. I he know. He can't? He can't speak no. English? I always talk to my dog, you know, as if he can understand perfect English. Oh, I do, real. too. I, I talk to Fisher like he's a preschooler. <laughs> yeah, you have to, because it's like a preschooler who's constantly trying to hump other preschoolers on the playground. But it is like, I mean, Lindsay's Fisher content, obviously the writing is very good. You've done a really good job as a beat writer at The Athletic. The Fisher content is so aces. It's some of the best shit that's on the internet anywhere, uh, and you should follow her anywhere that her Fisher content shows up. But there's a lot of, of videos of you having to like sort of chastise Fisher when he's getting rowdy yep. on the in the dog run. And it is... identifiable to me, like tonally, that is how my mother has told me to stop doing things my entire life. I just was never like humping a schnauzer that was nearby (laughs) without it knowing that that was happening. Yeah, I I tell him a lot that we need to... practice being respectful of other people's feelings when when we get home from a walk then he starts barking at me for a treat and I'm like you are not treating your family with consideration like you need you need to practice kindness and he's like give me the fucking treat uh I just it's just there's something about the fact that he will never grow out of being this horny toddler that like doesn't sit right with me and so I just feel like if I keep treating him like he's eventually going to grow up um Maybe it'll happen. So I'm like, yeah. We, we you could to... send him to you send him to finishing school and yeah. like, he could learn I how just... to, like a place setting and stuff like that. I mean, my ultimate dream would be for him to one day become self sufficient enough to walk himself and then get me coffee in the morning. Um, Ooh. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it's going to happen, but fingers yeah. crossed. I think 
the idea of him going out and like getting most of the way there and then there's just a laundry vent blowing some hot air and he stands in front of it for one hour while your coffee gets cold it's too like it's so obviously what would happen that it would be very uh disappointing i think for you because you can get 75% of the way there and you still don't get your coffee because he's hanging out, getting warm air blown up his butt. I blew leaves onto my dog uh, the other day and it was fantastic. How did Carter like, respond to this? Well, he was, he was not happy. Like, Carter, because Carter's very, <laughs> Carter doesn't really like much of anything. So, like, I was blowing leaves on him. He's like, hey, what the fuck? And he's like backing off. Like, yeah. He wasn't like, he wasn't excited for a blast of like hot <laughs> or like freezing uh, leaves uh, going on to him. But it was still funny to, it's sometimes it's fun to fuck with your dog. Like you throw a blanket over him and he's like, he can't see. And he's like, oh my God, oh my God, I've been buried alive. And you're like, ha ha ha, the dog thinks he died. I love playing that game, throwing a blanket over Fisher and then like squeaking a squeaky toy and seeing him like flip out. <laughs> Top notch entertainment. Um He's an amazing dog, but he's not like. If dogs could go to college, he was not. He's not going to go to college. He's like, like, there's not. He's like annoying. Not to insult his intelligence, but he's like annoyingly smart enough to manipulate me, but not smart enough to do literally anything else. So uh, <laughs> it's like the it's like the worst. It's like it's like the worst position <laughs> for the two of us to be in. Does he do a thing like where he knows like he knows you're trying to get him to walk? So he's not really happy. He, like, he, you think he's going to want the treat, but he's like, nah, fuck that. I know what you're trying to fucking do. Um, yeah. <laughs> now that I'm trying to have a social life, uh, Fisher can tell when I'm trying to go out for the night. And yes. So then I'll take him out to pee and he refuses to go. So... Oh. He tries to trap me. <laughs> oh, uh, and then it doesn't work. I just make him hold his piss. Like, fuck you, man. Like, this sounds like yeah. your problem. Yeah, if I so much as put on jeans, Carter is like, what the fuck is going on? Where are you going to go? Are, am, are you getting gonna... neutered again? Yeah. <laughs> this is now a dog podcast. We only talk yeah, about dogs. Yeah, which is fine. That's what the people want. We don't talk about cats. We only talk about dogs. Baseball, Adler, uh, you are actually a baseball writer. And so we have you on because it's very, very important that we talk about baseball right now because as we record this, it's Wednesday. This will post after that. But uh, the collective bargaining agreement, between Major League Baseball and its players expires at 11.59 p.m. tonight, after which uh, I believe everyone believes there's going to be a lockout. But before that happened, there's been a massive free agent spending spree that I would say the likes of which we haven't seen in the sport in a couple of years because there's been sort of this, um, I I would say, uh, uh, I I got the wrong word for it, but it's like this clandestine collusion among uh, owners to essentially not really spend money if they don't. They don't have to. But this offseason, they have proven willing to spend money. So there's one question. There are two questions I want to ask you. One is that do you find the spending spree uh, abnormal? Uh, Do you find it unprecedented? And do you think there, do you see any connection to it and the impending lockout coming tonight? Yeah, definitely. I would say this is absolutely not what I expected to happen. I mean, I thought. Because without a CBA, we don't even know what the financial structure of the sport is going to look like. We don't know, right. you know, if they retain the luxury tax system, what the threshold is going to be, what, you know, even major league minimum, we don't know what that's going to be. And so I thought that there would be basically a hold on spending until organizations knew basically what the budget should look like. Um And the Yankees have actually kind of adhered to that, and a lot of clubs have not. And I really can't blame some of the top free agents for just being like, look, it's going to be a freeze. 
everything's going to be quiet indefinitely, though everyone hopes that they have a new CBA in place and they can just go into spring training normally. But like, I don't blame a lot of the top players who always do control their own market really for being like, I just want to know where I'm playing next year. And then I can spend the lockout just like chilling, doing my regular training routine, um, not using club facilities, but getting after it. So it's interesting to me that it's not interesting to me that some of the players wanted to sign. It's interesting to me that owners and front offices have authorized this type of spending without knowing what the structure is going to look like next year and beyond. Right. Especially given how fixated some of the teams have been, even teams, like you say, like the Yankees, like teams that are very rich and like how the way that they've treated the luxury tax as sort of like, I mean, not even just something that's much more onerous financially than it is, but effectively as a salary cap that like to see, the teams that are choosing to still worry about it relative to the ones that are not like wherever the new, if there is indeed like a new cap, wherever it's going to be, the Mets are already past it and they're not done. Whereas like the Dodgers and the Yankees are just kind of like, well, you know, what if it's like exactly what we're paying everyone right now? We have no choice but to let like our regulars leave and to go into the, you know, into next season, hoping that DJ LeMahieu can play three positions at the same time. Well, hard cap isn't even on the table. Um, like no, owners, owners aren't even trying to, to, to force that on players in this negotiation. So I was wondering, Adler, if they were perhaps spending money now because they maybe anticipate that salary levels will go up. And so it's almost sort of a bargain to sign some of these guys for 30 and $40 million a year. I don't know. I mean, I think the bonanza and the quick run on top players probably inflated contracts more than anything else. What I'm really interested in is there's like still hundreds of free agents out there. Um, you know, there's like the uh, sheer anger radiating from the Yankees fan base right now. It would honestly be like a great source of renewable energy, but like, yes. um, <laughs> you know, there's, there's plenty of things that they can do to improve the team once this is all done. And so I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, Part of the expectation is that there might be a salary floor, which I think is really interesting in the context of some of the teams like the Pirates, the Orioles, the Guardians, who um, some of whom have made some changes this week, but probably are not anywhere near to what an expected salary floor would be. So it's just I don't I don't really know what the economic proposals look like right now, but um, it seems like seems like there's a, there's a lot to hammer out still. Yeah, the uh, yeah. from baseball perspectives, this is from Jeff Passan, uh, the, the Orioles right now, their expected current opening day payroll is $37 million, which is nothing. That's one guy's <laughs> fucking salary on another well, team. Well, you basically can't get lower than that. Yeah. Unless, you're, unless everybody's like pre-arbitration on your roster. Yeah, he like, had... Effectively, oh, the lowest you can go because he because Passon also put Max Scherzer in there, new Met Roth, uh, and yeah, he's making he's making forty three point three million dollars a year alone for the Mets in twenty twenty one. And two teams, the Orioles and the Pirates, have a combined payroll below that. The Pirates have already signed more major league free agents this year than I think they did both of the last two off seasons, which is to say they've signed two major league free agents. <laughs> right. But that's still like. Quite a, you know, whatever. I, I agree with, with what Lindsay's saying about the floor being a big consideration. I think that's holding up, to me, like one of the the things that's going to shape this offseason more than the free agency, or as much, 
is that the A's are are going to bail like on a what's a really still like a pretty good roster, like a competitive roster. And it's going to be a question of how much and how far they can bail. If they can trade Matt Chapman and Matt Olson and Frankie Montas and like any of the, the players that have value and are already like in the ARB scale, at least in like Olson's case. And so they're going to get paid a little bit. Like if they traded all of those guys and they wound up with a, uh, you know, like a guardian size payroll, which is like 55 or $57 million, then they could like radically reorient the balance of power in baseball, depending on how they trade those guys. I mean, I, I it's kind of annoying to think about that we're still like, with all of this, I keep trying to keep the idea that like a better world is possible for baseball, like in my, my thinking, because I don't want to like have to have this austerity mindset about like just accepting that a third of the teams are actively trying to lose. Like that's been a really kind of a deranging thing about being a fan over the last few years. It's just like seeing these teams come into town or like noticing what they're doing and just being like, oh, it sucks. Like why is this team even in the majors right but now? Do you know how many Baltimore Orioles games I've watched in person since oh 2018? Oh, I, I so don't want to know. I think More in, or less a private viewing, which is nice. In but yeah. 2019, I think I was possibly the only beat writer who covered every Yankees Orioles home and away game. I did all 19. Um <sighs> Camden Yards. You get like a like a challenge coin I, for the end of yeah, that. Yeah, I wanted I wanted one of those like candlestick pins, but like I survived. I survived the 2019 Baltimore Orioles. Yeah, hey, you should get, get cash one of those, like, Post deployment tattoos of like the laughing bird, but it's got it's like crying one tear. <laughs> At least, like, like, like... <laughs> yeah, it's just it's. I mean, one thing that like fans should be pretty content about with this is that like competition is such a big priority for the players in the union, and obviously you know, it's, it's the financial aspect of that. If, if a third of the teams in the league are not trying, then there's no money for the, you know, veteran types. There's no, there's no incentive to spend for a third of those teams. But like the players are really, really adamant that like the quality of competition needs to be more consistent throughout the league. And I, I think, I, I hope major league baseball feels the same way there, but I don't like that, uh, contention and profitability often seem to have an inverse or seem to have an inverse relationship unless you're at like the upper tier of contention and then you're just like raking in cash in the you know championship series and world series or whatever so um i i i do like that the quality of competition is going to be such a big priority in these negotiations i think that's an important distinction too because it's like i think this has never really exactly been the way that it works, but the those two things are not supposed to be in competition. They're supposed to be in a sort of a like dynamic tension that holds the league together, yeah. right? That like everybody tries just enough to spend, you know, like a little, and not everybody wins, but everybody tries. Yeah. And then there was, I think this shift where like, there's always been bad teams, you know, but like the, you can't necessarily give the Astros credit for it, but like that rebuild working, Open the door for like, you know, at this point, like a half dozen similar rebuilds with no apparent timetable or consequences for it going on for way longer than the Astros one ever did. Where where are the pirates in their rebuild? Like, I don't know where they're at. They just keep trading away these like interesting players like Jamison Tyone or Jacob Stallings. And I don't like I mean, I don't follow them closely, even though I feel like I cover an enormous pirates former player exodus, but like yeah 
it's it's when you get into this like squishy middle part of the the rebuild and like obviously i see the orioles up close i understand that like the state they were in i do feel or i I do understand why they've gone full tear down rebuild i get it but it's it's when you get into that middle chunk and i feel like the white Sox were there a few a couple years ago Mm -hmm. in like 2019 where i was like is this is this rebuild gonna work um, yeah, like is it that even is happening? So uncomfortable. Like, where are we in it? Yeah. Well, also because I, part... I think that rebuild, I think that rebuild, just as a term, is often an illusion in a matter of branding. So it's like it suggests that you that they are planning for to be good at some point in the future. When the reality is that they're not, and they're selling you on the idea that they're they're bad now to be good. When in reality, they're just trying to be bad, but they want to sell you on the idea that there is something to hope for when you watch them be bad. Yeah. Yeah. I think, well, go ahead, Lindsay. But I mean, something I would really, really, really love to know is how much money the Chicago Cubs made when they won the World Series. You know, like, and then, and then they have all these financial problems because of Wrigley or whatever. And then the, the, their core is not performing as well as they should. And then, you know, what's supposed to be a Cubs dynasty turns into a sell off in 2021, which makes sense. But it's like, I, I cannot get, I cannot get it out of my head thinking about how much money the freaking Chicago Cubs must have won from winning a like I lived in the Midwest. I know how those people are. Those people were spending (laughs) all of their damn Christmas money on Cubs World Series stuff as they should have been. They've been waiting for (sighs) generations for that stuff to be printed. Yes, of course, they're going to spend it. And so then to see them have these like financial budgetary restraints, whatever. And the years after I was like. You just won a World Series that everybody waited like their entire Literally like grandmother's for lifetime <laughs> for. <Yes. laughs> like, where is the money? Yeah, it's really puzzling that way. I think also that like to see them quickly and so like so much of the stuff that they said that they were losing money on was like strictly speaking an owner's problem like it had nothing to do with the the baseball but they didn't ever stop selling tickets because they were like no longer in a position to win the world series the issue was that their attempt to sort of terraform the real estate area of wrigleyville and then to put a fucking jumbotron in like wrigley field or whatever that like that went over budget like sorry man that's not the baseball team's fault that you decided to do that and it's not like instrumental to the baseball team's operations like this is you trying to make some extra money by opening a bunch of hotels near the stadium that you have yeah and it sucks that like the fans have to pay the price for that two times around like not just in terms of getting bigfooted by these like tacky billionaire guys and turning like what was already admittedly a pretty awful neighborhood and making it worse but then also, like, they don't even get to watch the baseball team that those guys own because those guys were doing some other shit. Yeah, I think I think something that would actually really benefit club owners actually would be if clubs had, you know, if clubs, like, revealed sort of what their larger organizational budgets were or spending. Yeah, absolutely. Were. And even if we're talking, like, okay, concessions, whatever. I mean, Hal Steinbrenner owns you know, the, the legends food thing, it's, that's all too complicated for me, but I want to know what clubs are spending on baseball operations because it is not just on payroll. It's on, you know, it's on paying state-of-the-art trainers, building facilities, things like this. It's, it's so interesting to me to think about where 
ownership money is going because so much of it is in player development right now, which can be pretty big expenditures. I mean, you know, for me, buying one $16,000 Edgertronic camera would just devastate me financially. But, you know, some of these big clubs, they buy like 15 of them or they station them in every affiliate. And it's like, it's essentially pennies, but it's also spending with the point of trying to develop those homegrown cost controlled major league minimum players, because at the end of the day, return on investment. Exactly. Which I, which I don't think is like really a bad thing. And I, and I do think that, you know, fans really do want to see some of those homegrown types often supplemented by the superstar Max Scherzer types. But I, I think it would be so interesting to know because we know payroll, but we don't know what, owners are spending on baseball operations and player development and whatnot. And I I do think that's actually sort of essential to understand how a club is trying to build a contender. Well, it's also, it's hard to figure that out because you're talking about billionaires and the way that they spend money is not the way you and I spend money where, you know, you, you know, if you buy something at Home Depot, you pay money and, you know, you pay on your credit card or you pay with a debit card and comes out of your bank account. It's all fairly direct. None of that is direct when you're a billionaire because they're using 50 different shell companies to buy whatever shit they need for the team itself, which is also some sort of odd financial front for some greater enterprise. And so it's all just insanely confusing. Even if you got the documents to like laid it out plainly, you'd still have a hard time parsing it. And I think what's going to be so interesting this winter is that, you know, we saw this like last year with the COVID negotiations where many observers see it as a millionaires versus billionaires thing. Um, And it is, but the idea of like conceiving of Steve Cohen's wealth, um, (laughs) like I I don't, I don't even know where to find the drugs to begin to understand his financial portrait. But it's like the thing about like actually having proximity to this industry that is so weird is like um ball player money doesn't like phase me um it's not really that interesting to me like and and i think the funny thing about ball players is that a lot of them tend to um just still be sort of normal i mean definitely a little bit weird because they have to be to be ball players, but they're still like kind of like normal people who just like have a lot of money. They're not like, not like the Rockefellers or they're not like the Coens. Um, but I think a lot of that context gets lost when it's like, well, you have guys at the top of the union, you have Marcus Semien just got, okay. So player representation, Marcus Semien just got a huge deal. Francisco Lindor has a huge deal. Max Scherzer has an enormous deal. Eric yeah, Cole has just- an enormous deal. Zach Britton's going to get paid while he's on the injured list all year. You just lose the sort of context that really separates the uh, player financial portrait from the owner financial portrait. And um, I think that's very, I'm interested to see how that gets navigated this year. I do think it's a little different than it was when I was younger, though, because I think that that whole I don't think that the conversation gets held in the same sort of tone. I think you're definitely mm-hmm. right that there's still that fundamentally sort of obfuscatory thing where it's like everybody involved is richer than you, yes. right? And so it's weird, because, but the idea of being able to, like the wealth of the ownership class now relative to, you know, the last time there was a work stoppage was like 26 years ago or 27 years ago or something like that. Like 
it mirrors broader trends in the culture. These people are exponentially richer than they were. They're like the difference between Steve Cohen and like fucking Marge Schott or whatever <laughs> is effectively the difference between me and like Joey Gallo in terms of wealth. And that's like that is deranging. And it's really like, I mean, as with every other aspect having to do with wealth and the way that we talk about stuff in our in our politics or our culture or whatever, like, I think you're right, Lindsay, that just like the problem of conceiving of numbers with that many zeros in them is just not something that maybe our like sad little ape brains are built to do. No, that's that's right. Because you can you can like I can comprehend a player's salary much, much, much easier than I can comprehend an owner's wealth. And that actually works to an owner's advantage because I can actually see, you know, if a player makes 20 million dollars. I, you know, I know, I kind of know like what that means. Like I know what I would spend that on and stuff like that, but the <laughs> owner, but the owners, you know, the owners are essentially priceless in terms of, of, of their own wealth. And that makes it so much harder to relate to. And so you're not really engaging with that wealth. You, you can't even really sort of comprehend it in a way where you're going to have feelings about it one way or another, but with players, you are going to have feelings with it one, one way or another, Handler. I mean, I think, I think I actually really appreciate Steve Cohen in that sense, because I know what he does. I know where his wealth comes from. Um, Mm. I can, I can understand. Okay. So Steve Cohen does a job that other people in New York city do. I don't know what other (laughs) club owners do for work, you know? And like, but then because Steve Cohen is this like weird public figure, uh, we also know how he spends his money otherwise. So we know how much he spends on, I'm going to say it, chuggy contemporary art. Um, Damn. And that- He's dragging Amadeo Modigliani on the podcast. <laughs> okay. So off. But like, also if like Stevie wants to let me like come see his like Pollock de Kooning, like the, the, the chuggy stuff that I like really, like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very in, but like, so I can understand like, okay, Steve Cohen spent X amount of money on this art, which we understand how wealthy people use art, but it's like, okay, well, that is like six Jacob de Grom's. Okay, we're good here. Like we understand that, right. It's not like when I go to Target and I'm like, should I buy like the travel size dry shampoo or should I buy the full size dry shampoo? (laughs) Like Steve Cohen is just buying the fucking Target. Um, And to to some extent that like actually makes it a lot more simple to me because you can point to direct examples of being like Steve Cohen spent X amount of money on this one thing. And it is comparable to the payrolls of like the four, you know, bottom teams in major league baseball. Um, and so I know how we got the money. Uh, I understand that the scale is just beyond my comprehension. And I know the extreme type of spending that he has done in other ways. And I don't know how, I don't know how Hal Steinbrenner spends his money. I don't know how, you know, the Oakland A's owner spends his money. Like, I don't know anything about that. So at least like Steve gives us context. (laughs) Yeah. I was going to say also like the Guggenheim baseball group. Like, how about that? Because like that shit feels like the future of sort of ownership to me. I think you're, this is a, a point that I've kind of like, made a few times in writing but i'm not 100 percent sure that i agree with myself so they're not my most effective blogs that i feel like at some point we may not exactly miss owners like steve cohen or like arde moreno because like in a just society steve cohen and someone of steve cohen's wealth would not exist you know that like that's just not 
how the world is supposed to be. You, you shouldn't have that much money if you're just one dude. But I think that as the ownership scene sort of transitions away from like the sort of legacy wealth types, like not that the Steinbrenners aren't extremely wealthy, but their business is the Yankees now. And it's been that way for a long, like whatever George once did in the shipbuilding biz, that family's been in the baseball business for 50 years. The way that I think like a team like the the Dodgers, which have this, they have this ownership group of investors, all of whom are expecting an annualized return of, you know, X percent are like, those people are, they're people too. But fundamentally, the goal of what the organization is trying to do is to deliver that return. It is not to, like, whatever you can say about Steve Cohen or about Arte Moreno, like, they want their teams to win. They just kind of, like, don't go about it. And they're, like, bigfooting everybody else on their way there. But they're people who want things. And I think as teams get so expensive that individuals can't, like, effectively can't afford to own them, then we're entering this, like, weird abstracto phase that I have no sense of how to read. That's such a good point. I mean, I do, for as much as I don't understand about Yankees ownership, because I imagine there's a huge gap between valuation, liquidity, blah, 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 blah. Like, Mm -hmm. it is kind of nice that, like, okay, this is just a guy whose family has owned a baseball team. This is, it's just a little bit straightforward. It's not like, you know, the, like, seemingly, like, patchwork ownership plan that the guardians are working with now where like the dolans want people to buy in or whatever like i don't know this is just like the freaking steinbrenners like hal is in the office his sister jenny steinbrenners in the office like i see them with like their grandkids there and know that they've just like been raised in this organization and it's well it's like hard to conceive of what it's like to be a baseball owner at least it's just like a little bit straight forward instead of like seven different guys yeah right or you know all these different like investment like pooled groups of money from like wherever you know that like you could eventually trace it all the way back but somehow there's like like dubai's involved at some level and you're just in space yeah at least i know who the steinbrenners are and why they own the yankees um right they they do that they keep the name of the ballpark is yankee stadium it's i like the simplicity i'll give it that there's also yep. there's a possibility, and I, actually, I I don't think so. This will actually happen, but you know, the NFL has a rule where it has you have to have one person owning the team because they don't like consortiums, they don't like multi owners. So you know, it is possible that baseball, if they feel like aping the NFL and the profit margins, will want to be more clubby, so that they have one face, one old shitty guy who dabbles in hedge funds and you know buys art, you know, for fun. Having be having him be the face, essentially of you know the entire executive level of the firm, but maybe they don't, and maybe we have to take a break. So let's take a break and come right back. We're back with Lindsay Adler of the Athletic, and uh, before we get to the fun bag, one more question about uh, baseball because I wanted to ask you because uh, this is very much in in the fun bag uh, terrain, but uh, there's speculation right now that. When and if there is a new CBA, that there will be a new playoff format that will feature 14 teams with one team getting a buy in each league. And then the remaining three teams can choose their opponent in the first round, which is something that like readers have always like proposed 
for like the NFL and the NBA, like to me and to like anybody else who has a sports mailbag. So my question to you, Adler, is do you think that's cool or do you think that's fucking weird? I feel like, okay, because of the weirdness of the 2020 season and then for some lingering weird hangover in 2021, we had like some like sneaky rando teams that were maybe going to sneak their way in. Um, I feel like the problem is we always get excited about these teams that would theoretically then be pushed in to that uh, format. And they're like, they're always like the fun ones to root for because they're not the Yankees and the Dodgers or whatever. Um, but if they're like not actually that good and then they get swept and then yeah. it's just like kind of depressing. Um, or they turn out to be the racist ass Braves and they fucking win it all. And you're like, yeah. you know, that's- <laughs> Lindsay's totally like, it's going to be speaking directly to me. Cause I had like all these blogs at the end of the year where I was like, the Mariners are hope. But, like, they were a fucking 82-win team. They're not good. Like, they were just, like, they were 86 or whatever it was. You know what was... But I wanted them to make it, too. You know what was so depressing was that, like, I could barely even enjoy that stuff because my life was hanging in limbo. Like, the the Yankees clearly had not clinched the division. They had not separated themselves. So, like, if I was going to have to go back to Canada and, like, do like the COVID test and the bull. Like I paid like two hundred dollars for a COVID test in Boston, and I was just like, "Oh, oh my god, I know, yeah, I know." Can you and expense that? Yes. Um, okay. All right. But Phew. yeah, it was like it was like so chaotic and fun, and I was like, "Well, the Mariners wouldn't really actually like beat the Tampa Bay Rays at any point." Um, but yeah. I I don't know. I mean, I. I know that there's like sort of two schools of thought on that, that one, it would incentivize clubs to try more or that it would incentivize teams to be sort of mediocre because teams somewhat rightfully see the postseason as a crapshoot. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's weird from my position in Yankee land where they're expected to be in the postseason every year. So like sort of, um, and you know, Yankees fans don't scream at me. I know the team has not signed anyone, blah, 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 blah. I know that their success is not a given at this point, but, um, theoretically the Yankees should not be one of those like 13, 14 teams. So it's like hard for me to like yeah. conceive of, but, um, you know, I mean, I think if it expands the quality of competition, that'd be great. Um, I'm just not sure if we're certain that that's what it would do. Yeah. Well, what about just in terms of like watching it? Like, oh, yeah, more baseball. More baseball. Right. Yeah, more free baseball is cool. It's just like it does, you can definitely see, I think you expressed that very well, that like it's hard to say that it would be bad for more fans to experience playoff baseball for their teams. And yet, like, it, if the owners, if this is the inch that you give them that causes them to take a yard in explicitly targeting 83 wins every year because that's enough to get you a small postseason share, then, like, I don't know that it's helped. But whatever. We got two months of those guys going into rooms every day and yelling about this to figure it out. Um, so that's kind of nice. I don't have to do that. Let's remember a guy, then. You guys want to remember a guy? Oh, sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm, I'm worried this one's too old, but uh, Lindsay Adler, your guy of the week... Is Ron Say? Do you remember the Penguin Ron Say, Lindsay Adler? No. Yeah, I'm. I, I thought I might go too far. David Roth, do you remember Ron Say the Penguin? 
barely. Okay. He was a cub by the time I was a kid. He was a and cub his, and his a best Dodger. seasons were with the Dodgers. Yes. But I, it was he was back in the eighties, back when like you could give you could give a baseball player or any athlete a completely weird and sometimes not even flattering nickname and it stuck. And now but he'd like he'd be RC like now, which would suck. I'd much rather have him be just you know, everyone be like, well, yeah. we call him the Penguin because he's got a mustache and he's kind of dumpy and waddles around the field. So let's. <laughs> if he was a hockey player, they would call him Sazy. Yeah. So obviously, we did a we we got lucky. Yeah, the Sazer. Uh, Matt writes into the fun bag, Lindsay Adler. Which would have a bigger impact on humankind, God revealing itself or aliens contacting us? I guess for the sake of the argument here, assume they're benevolent. So, God or aliens? Lindsay Adler, which one would have the bigger impact on humankind if it happened? Hmm. It's tough, isn't it? <laughs> what does God's reveal look like? Is this like God's posting feet? Like, what are we talking <laughs> that about? I, I that mean, I can't. Okay, I can't, so I, I kind can't. of feel like we know, like, um, theoretically, like, a God's deal. Uh, they're, like, trying to generally make things good less chaotic they're trying to make things like just and fair or whatever like i don't really know a lot about religion but theoretically like i'm assuming there aren't many religions that are like uh god I, well, there are a lot of religions yeah, where it's like god wants you god to suffer mostly. Um, oh well me catholicism adler <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, yeah i was baptized catholic so it's whatever um <laughs> aliens are a little bit more of a wild card so like we don't like have any like texts that would theoretically tell us what they're supposed to do. I also think that um, humans can't really conceive of what actual uh, extraterrestrial life would be like. I mean, we have all of these like images of like weirdo, wacky green aliens with like weird eyes or whatever, but like, would aliens have eyes? Would they have brains? Would they be in any way similar to us? I mean, it's like, it's like how I spend so much time on YouTube trying to understand the concept of space time. Um, and I can't do it. I cannot even begin to conceive of what actual like, especially if it's like from like a different solar system, like all of their like uh, biology and everything would be so different. Like, I don't even know how to conceive of what an alien would look like or what like their motives would be or what they would want with us or what they would think of us. So um, I'm revealing too much about myself here, but I'm really going to go with the aliens, I think. Yeah, I think you're, that's a very good point about aliens, too, that, like, even, I guess, Arrival, they're kind of, like, weird floaty clouds of consciousness or whatever, so that's, but it is kind of touching and hilarious in retrospect that for all the content that I consumed about aliens as a younger person, which was, you know, I'd say about a league average amount, so a lot. <laughs> None of the people that were putting that out there had imagined a world where aliens didn't have, like, arms, legs, and a butt. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're going to have a butt. <laughs> just, yeah. Everybody yeah. poops. Will they not have a butt? Like, are they going to eat something? It's got to come out somewhere. Right? I think uh, I think it's I think it's aliens, because I think, like, like you, I mean, you went back to it, Roth. You were like, well, how would God sort of manifest itself? And, like, it, there's, it's hard to get everybody on board with sort of believing no one believes anything anymore and everyone's joking all the fucking time which drives me nuts so it's like it's in, like in either case it's impossible to not think it's going to end up being like a fucking stunt that jimmy kimmel's doing in conjunction with sprite or something like that yeah, that's but, so true but to, nathan felder presents god yeah yeah <laughs> really mess people up also what if what if Lindsay adler 
God is an alien. What about that? To both of them Holy together, shit. then everyone would be like, "Whoa!" And then they'd want a taco or something. I like I think we don't know enough about the universe to completely rule that out. Um, like something that I've watched for comfort a lot throughout this pandemic is the um, it's a documentary called The Farthest about the Voyager. Uh, and it makes Ooh. me cry every single time because I think there is something just so beautiful about those little spacecrafts out there exploring the universe forever, just like doing their own little thing. Um, they're still transmitting data, but then they talk a lot about the golden record and how there's like this one talking head who's like, you know, there was controversy because we're, you know, like inscribing uh, directions to earth and people were like why would you give them directions to earth and this talking head is like if aliens can figure out that we're giving them directions to earth we're already so screwed and i'm like that is so true bestie like <laughs> if they can figure out this golden record if, if they can decode all of this stupid stuff that is just for you know like clearly drumming up nasa funding we're already toast so like that selected them i don't know if they have like record players on, you know, in, in star X, Y, Z, Elon Musk's child's names universe or whatever, <laughs> but like <laughs> best of luck. So that's my take. I think I want, I want to watch that show. That it's so good. Oh my, it's Ooh. just something about like, I know that they're inanimate objects, but they're just like brave little explorers trying to like, yeah. you know, and they leave don't our back. solar system, which like I would really love to do. So like, I That's love awesome. this for them. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm gonna watch that because I watch the planets, which is also another like C PBS thing mm -hmm. you can buy on like Amazon or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm in all that shit. I'm totally I'm totally down with all that. This is kind of it's weird. I know the the feeling of being moved by stuff like that, where it's just I think it's just that anything that works at this point is inherently <laughs> kind of inspiring. Like that when you see it, you're just kind of like that is one thing you could say about that probe is that it's never gonna reveal that it's racist. Yeah. Like, it's just going to keep going further and further out into space and sending information back, and it's never going to, like, get into the wrong TV channels or, like, you know, you're never going to, like, find out stuff about it. Like, a little bit of reliability and um, earnest competence goes a long way. Um, this is from Jeff. He writes in, what do you think presidents do with the customized jerseys that championship teams give them when they visit the White House. They're one of a kind, but for the most part, aren't from teams that the president cheered for or even a sport that the president may care about that much. Sure, the president may have a connection with some of the owners that vote, endorse, or donate to their campaigns. That doesn't mean they'd ever wear the team jersey they receive. Adler, what do you think like Joe Biden would do with his Atlanta Braves jersey? I mean, like, there's just like boxes and archives right it's like it's probably like a like being the president is probably like being the being a museum where they just like take all this shit and you never see it and it's just like in some dusty basement like cataloged pretty well like i thought the question was going to be what do you think presidents do which is actually a uh i think i feel like i have a better answer <laughs> for the, i feel like i have a yeah. better answer for the jersey question than for the what do presidents do thing but like <laughs> i mean I, I, I don't know, like, okay, so Obama didn't get, like, a Bulls championship or, like, a White Sox championship. Like, when's the last time that, like, a sitting president actually got uh, to celebrate, like, one of their favorite teams? I think, I think 
It was Bill Clinton in Arkansas winning the national championship in the Final Four. I think that's it. Huh. But can't and he so. would definitely, and also Bill Clinton would wear an Arkansas Razorbacks jersey. Yeah, yeah, he was a fan. Absolutely. Was a fan. Uh, yeah. I just love this team. I just love it. But there is something funny about the idea of like Trump. I remember like when the <laughs> Baylor women's team was there and they like brought him a jersey and he was, it was like one of those classic excruciating Trump banter moments that was like, if you could take out of it the equation that he's Donald Trump, it was delightful because he was trying to joke around with Kim Mulkey, which like, buddy, you are just barking up the wrong <laughs> fucking tree there. But he was like, how do you think I'd look in this? Do you think my arms, the definition would look good? And she was like, no, don't put it on. <laughs> but it was still the idea of giving a grown man a basketball jersey with that person's name on the back is like, what are you going to do with that? What should one do with that? I mean, like, wouldn't you give it to like your chief of staff or something like that? Yeah. Yeah, I guess that could be it. You could like find someone who's a fan of that team or what. Like, okay, the Washington Nationals, that's like not a hard jersey to give away. Uh, I guess at a white house, but like, okay. My question is like, what is the Pope doing with all of these basketball jerseys? Like, doesn't he have like the <laughs> Atlanta Hawks, like MLK Jersey and whatnot? I, th- I think so. Well, he would go to hell if he wore like, just like a t-shirt, right? Like he has to wear his Popey stuff. <laughs> he used doesn't to he? be like, not all the time. Wasn't he like he a can't... bouncer or like a bartender? Was he? Big... <laughs> was he? He's a big soccer fan too. Yeah. He's like, was he, Frank a like bouncer? A... I think he was There's like an Argentine club side that the Pope supports, and he's like really gonzo about it. Still, I think is gonzo about it. <laughs> That's great. I love. Like I don't the- even know if they're good either. Like, I like the idea of someone who's supposed to have a direct line to God, but they're like, "Well, actually, I've been a Brewers fan my whole life, and I've never watched him win shit." Maybe, maybe like maybe someone like a rival team wins something, and they give their jersey to the Pope, and he's like, "I'm washing people's feet with this piece of shit. I'm not using this. Yep. <laughs> this is my this is my dish rag from now on." Hey, the podcast is over. But before I uh, before I go into the credits, I just want to say again, we have the live podcast next week in New York City with our good friend Kelsey McKinney. And you, all you got to do is go to caveat.nyc to buy your tickets. You can buy tickets not only to attend live in person, though there's only a few of those left. You can also buy tickets to watch it on a stream. Yes, you have to pay to watch it on the stream because that's how less. that's how money is made and that's what has to be done. But we can't wait to see you next week. We're going to have a ton of fun. And uh, for this episode, Brandon Nick's and Corinne Wallace are our producers. Daisy Rosario is our executive producer. And our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. You can listen to ad-free episodes of The Distraction only on Stitcher Premium. And thanks to Roth and me and Lindsay Adler. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium right now. Just go to stitcherpremium.com and use the promo code DISTRACT. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever it is that you listen. And go subscribe to Defector.com too while you're at it. And subscribe to The Athletic too because Lindsay Adler is there giving you the best baseball writing you've ever read in your life by far much even better than ross i can't believe it oh my god way yeah yeah way so, better Adler, you were... to actually do stuff i just get at home i sit at home and get upset about different teams Lindsay's out there paying the dues 19 orioles games a year adler you were fantastic and fisher was also a champion we we love yeah, having really. both of you on the podcast thank you guys so much thank you all right bye bye